You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes that we talk about in this podcast by heading to the links in the show notes or on our website at sarahraven.com. Welcome to Grow, Cook, Eat, Arrange with me, Arthur Parkinson and Sarah Raven. In this episode, we're going to be talking about the stalwarts of the English cottage garden, lupins, irises and peonies, all of the classic favourites that actually I think are due for a real revival in the name of romance and also low maintenance. I've just got back from Perch Hill after us having the most amazing, lovely two-day photo shoot where we were picking lupins and irises and it really felt like I was picking a sort of millionaire's selection of bouquets from Sarah's garden. And um, I know, Sarah, you were thrilled with some of the new collections we've created too. Yeah, I just, um, it's it's funny, isn't it, that some people really have massive reservations about all three of those families of plants. Mm. So first of all, lupins, they're sort of gaudy and vulgar and to sort of seaside garden, bedding, whatever, that they're just not subtle and they're just too noisy, too clown-like. But I don't agree, which we'll come back to. And <laughs> um, and then that bearded iris are almost indecent in their sort of ruffled texture. And I don't know, people find them too artificial in a way, like fake flowers. But again, I couldn't more strongly disagree with that. Mm. And then... Obviously, peonies are just, I mean, actually, apparently in surveys, peonies are uh, the Brits' favourite flower, which is amazing. I would have thought it'd be the bluebell, but gardeners are quite unconvinced by them, particularly florists, actually, because they have such a short season. But they're just coming out in the garden here today. The first one opened last night. And I have to say, I'm very, very happy they're there. You know, I'm really mm. looking for, even though they're transient, because I suppose I'm lucky that I've got space that I can have a few of these one-minute wonders, I suppose you would have to call them. I mean, none of those plants, lupins, bearded iris or peonies, are going to give you more than a month of flowering, are they? But that month, they're the Queen Elizabeth of, of I mean, and that's, you know, the first well, they, or, they or the back, current. They come back year on year. And they, and they do, <laughs> like our Queen. Absolutely. Yeah, so tell me why you love lupins, first of all. I think they're just very much all these plants we're going to talk about are part of our heritage as as a gardening nation, aren't they? And I don't know whether it was because we missed Chelsea last year and Chelsea this year that I was so thrilled to go to Perch Hill and, and see the lupins again. I mean, the lupins at Perch Hill I particularly love because I remember us, us picking them together with Josie at um, Hortus Loci when we were doing the Chelsea Colour Cutting Garden back in 2018, wasn't it, I think? And I remember us just being in this massive nursery and being, you know, allowed the run of the the sweet shop, as it were, to pick the grand aims of this garden we were creating. And both these lupins, Beef Eater, which is a beautiful, I think they're, are they bred from the Russell hybrids? I think they're they're the West Country lupins, aren't they? West Country lupins. Yeah. 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 But I remember Beef Eater, particularly the most blood orange curdling, magenta red really punchy like summer punch yeah and we paired it with terracotta which is a soft coral but not light pink deep merging on orange lupin 
And together, we I remember we just stood there and we're like, we've got to have as many of these as we can get onto that lorry. And they arrived at Chelsea and occasionally photos of that garden ping up on my Instagram feed because so many people loved it. And, you know, we paired them along the paths. And and I think those those lupins were the one of the most memorable plants of that garden. So it's always lovely to see them at Perch Hill in full bloom in a row. And this year they seem to be stronger than ever. I think last year we had a bit of problem with them. Um, Lupin aphid, didn't we? Mm, mm. But this year it doesn't seem to be as bad. But but for me, lupins were one of the first plants that engulfed me as a little boy. It was at Chatsworth and they've, there were huge beds of them before you went into the maze, massive great beds. And so every every June they'd be in flower en masse. And um, here in Nottinghamshire, they all grow wild along the railway line. And they just smell of pepper and yes, I just think smell. they're those beautiful spears for a garden, really. And I know they only bloom for a few weeks, but even though I've not got space, I have got a beef eater and terracotta in a dolly tub this year. I planted them last autumn as two litre plants. And they look they look absolutely gorgeous. And I don't I don't care that they're taking up a whole dolly tub, to be honest. It's quite nice yeah. to have a pot that I know is just gonna be cut down, mulched over. I might shove a few cosmos in if I can fit them in. Just yeah. so that pot's not completely desolate. I mean, to be honest, they do sprout back up, don't they, once they finish flowering? Yeah, they do. So you do get a bit of the nice foliage. And, and when it rains, you get the lovely raindrops in the middle of that palmate leaf. Yeah. And I think, actually, I don't know. I think sometimes you can, if you cut them right back, sometimes you get a second flush, don't you, occasionally? Yeah, I haven't with the these ones, but I think particularly if it was a really early spring, I you know I think you would this year. I don't think we will because everything's no. so late. But yeah, so late. No, I completely agree, and I love masterpiece too. The um, mm. the purple one from the same family. They're bred by this woman called Sarah Conibear down in Devon, and I remember writing about her about twenty twenty five years ago, and she got the Russell hybrids and was crossbreeding from them and then selecting in her field for really dense pack of flower on the stem and a, an interesting mix of colours in the what I think of as the slippers. Each of the flowers remind me of velvet slippers. And it was sort of the combination of those things as well as vigorous growth and length of flowering and stuff that she was selecting for. But they are indeed, you know, incredibly sort of densely packed those spires uh, with those pea-like flowers that, as you say, mm. absolutely, I've got a big vase of them in the kitchen at the moment and you come in and the whole place smells of black pepper. It's such a distinctive fragrance, isn't it? Yeah, I'm a big fan of lupins. And of course, in New Zealand, you see them just drifts where it turns whole hillsides blue. Yes. And where I go a lot in Crete, in the mountains, quite often you'll just come across in this, in the winter, it'll be anemone coronarias, as far as you can see. And then in April, May, which would be sort of June equivalent here, I guess, it's the blue lupin. And it's just absolutely exquisite that they're those slightly furry foliaged ones, which are so elegant. They've got, the, they, they look almost yes. like they've been dusted with silver. Mm. And it's just backlit, particularly. It's an absolutely exquisite sight. And with them, they have a sweeter scent. It's not peppery. It's sort of sweeter. Oh. Do you think we should just touch on the lupin aphid, which is um, yes, let's a particularly fat, <laughs> plump-looking thing with a rather strange colour? Sometimes they're almost sort of aquamarine. They're very strange for an aphid, but we have found genuinely that it's so lovely 
when something that is incredibly working with nature works. And we did have quite a bad infestation of aphids last year. And then you get ants that start eating the sugary secretions. Yeah. And so what we did when we got this infestation last year is is hang the whole row um, with three or four bird feeders. And one was a seed feeder, so we were drawing in the finches. And one was a nut feeder, so we were drawing in the blue tits and actually the um, the woodpeckers that we have quite a lot of here because it's so wooded. And this year, touch wood, we don't seem to have any problem at all. So it could be coincidence or it could be that we just managed to get really on top of the population so that it didn't then drop down into the soil. I'm not sure. I must look up the life cycle of a lupin aphid. Yeah, it'd be interesting. Maybe the cold. Yeah. Maybe that hard cold killed. I mean, it, yeah. we all moaned about the cold, but I do remember thinking, oh, hopefully this cold weather will mean we don't get lots of aphids. Yeah. Compared with last spring when it was just intense warm, wasn't it? Very quick. Yeah. So maybe that was a thing. Yeah. So I like those perennial ones en masse in a vase, just mm. absolutely spectacular. But I also love just a single stem of one of the annual ones. There's There's a blue one called blue javelin, I think. And yeah. it's got a really strange, slightly fruity smell. And I just love that in a single stem because the stem sort of falls out a little bit, so almost horizontal to the table. And then the growth tip turns up to the light. So you get these wonderful shapes and curves, like you do with a foxglove. But with a mm. lupin, it, it um, it's so prominent where the tip turns to the light. So you get this really flamingo-like extravagant yeah, shape. Yeah, craney neck. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And is, is that grown as a green manure sometimes, Sarah? Uh, the, one of them, actually, not that one, but yes, one of the annual lupins, because, of course, they're nitrogen fixers, aren't they? Ah, uh, So right. they're because they're in the legume family, their roots have nodules at the end which actually fix nitrogen. So, again, in an organic garden, they're a very, very good crop to use. Because mm. as a green manure, not only do they add organic matter into the soil, but they actually are, are feeding the soil in a natural way by fixing nitrogen from the atmosphere. So, yeah, I think they're they're an underestimated plant. And exactly as you said in the introduction, well due for a massive renaissance. And the bee, the bees love them because I was, I was cutting from that row of lupins and it was alive with bees. They're, they're so dense with nectar and pollen, aren't they? Yeah. And would you... Would you bother to grow seed from the perennial lupins? Would they take probably two years to come into flower from being germinated from seed, wouldn't they, I'd, I'd imagine? Yeah, I think so. I think probably division. But to, uh, to be brutally frank, I haven't tried to propagate the perennial lupins, actually. I'd be interested to see what you'd get out of, yeah. Out of seed. Yeah, whether see they would come true or not. With. Yeah, exactly, mm. exactly. Yeah. So... Um, Moving on to bearded iris, so so tell me which you particularly like and and why you love them. Mm. Well, it, it was really funny picking them at, at perch because every time I picked them, it was like I was releasing all this horrible, almost like pritstick gel from each stem. They really do send up the the liquid to the flowers. Oh. But what I've discovered with them this year is is the scent, the most gorgeous yeah. scent, just a single stem by the bed. It's it's quite unique and. And I've never smelled anything like it. And um, all the, the little anthers and, and the stamens are a different colour for each variety. I love that. So you see the bee going in 
and some of them are black and some are orange and yellow, mm. all quite Pacific. And I think that must be a good a good way of IDing different varieties by the, the different colours of the anthers. But I just think they're the most gorgeous William Morris-like creation, aren't they, with the flag and the... Um, I did look up what the different parts of the flowers were called, but it's left my brain. You probably know. Um, well, the flag falls. And the, the falls. The yeah. falls, that's it. Yeah. They're just, they're just blousy. I know they only flower once, but they're so low maintenance, aren't they? And if you've got that dreaded sun-baked area, you know, maybe where you park your car, and if you've got a graveled front garden, if you just put some in, and it, as long as they get the sun, they, they do really well. I mean, they flower in my grandma Sheila's garden, for years, they do need to be divided every couple of years to to invigorate the the rhizomes. Otherwise, you just end up with a mat of woody uh, rhizomes that just end up leaves. Yeah. But as long as you do that every two to three years, you will get a very glamorous display of, of viruses at this time of year. Yeah, my parents actually grew lots of them in their garden just outside Cambridge, and my godmother, who is somebody called Virginia Chapman, who absolutely loved bearded iris, and I remember her sending me a list that she had in her garden because she had a bearded iris from the beginning of April till the end of August. It wasn't the same one, wow. but in her collection, she had them against the south face of a brick wall and it was in really gritty soil and she was anyway on chalk, which is unfortunately the opposite of what I have here. But it was called her iris yard, I think. And hmm. it was so beautiful because there was always something in flower. And then you know, if they're well looked after and the rhizomes are baking right on the soil surface or even above the soil surface, uh, yeah. you then get these really vigorous, extraordinary spear-like silver grey leaves, which actually look very elegant against this red brick wall. And so that's what I've tried to copy here is we have got an underused south-facing wall here in the trials garden and it's got fruit on it. But I just, in lockdown last year, Adam's always adored bearded iris. And we made a selection and then I went off up to a nursery in Lincolnshire and bought five plants of uh, 20 different varieties. And so we're just looking at the you know first results now, really, because you're not going mm. to let them flower the first year. And as you say, I mean, they are just the most exotic just sort of they yeah. are just exquisite aren't they and yeah. you want to you want to wear them i mean that's the mm. sort of party frock that i want to wear if i ever go to a party again and uh, i know with you i think you and i agree we like those rich sultry ones like dusky yeah, challenger yeah definitely i have to say yeah yeah um, we tried to put white in didn't we and we both went yeah. oh no that one we'll leave that one out <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> Um, and, you know, and then the sort of bluey tones are, are, are like Jane Phillips, which does have incredibly mm. good scent, are, are lovely too. That's an absolute classic. I mean, that's been around for many decades. Mm. But they are just right now at their very best, aren't they? And I, I don't regret putting them there at all. I'm I'm really pleased. And I know I'll be looking at them, well, I hope, in 20 years' time. Mm. And so then our final kind of must-have, if you possibly have the space, perennial for this time of year are the family of peonies do you have any favorites we've got one at, at mill yard in the back garden i think it's called philip de kitchener or something uh, oh, yeah. it didn't flower at all last year even though it's been there five years at a year off i don't know if that's something that peonies occasionally decide to do um but this year it's full of buds and ah. it's the most gorgeous deep proper claret red i mean i do i do like the deep red ones yeah. uh i think belly de nut is the other one that's 
the nice red one. Yeah, and Buckeye Bell, I think, is another Bucky, bit. Yeah, but, yes, yeah. I think. Um, but I think the the key thing, a lot of people say to me, oh, my peony doesn't flower. I think people very often plant them far too deep. Yeah. You literally, when you get those little, because the best time to order them is, I think, in the, is it in the autumn? They get the in little the spring yeah. in the yeah, autumn. Yeah, because they're, they're actually a cormus perennial, aren't they? They're, they're, they're bulbous. I mean, they've got yes. proper swollen root nodules. Yeah. So when they come and you see that little lipstick bud, it literally only needs to be an inch below the soil surface. If you plant mm. it any deeper, they, they go blind, don't they, Sarah? Mm. Yeah, yeah. And quite often I think people get that wrong or they over-mulch their peonies. But I have to say it is a, it's a myth that you can't move a peony. You can move them as long as you move them, I think, in September. Mm. And you can, you know, so when people say, oh, we're leaving a garden, we're gonna, we've got to leave our peony. If you can move them in September, they will be happily moved to another another place. And would you would you if you weren't moving in September, but you mm. would you dig them up and put them in a pot and then I move probably them? would just a big black plastic pot, I think. Yeah, and then I'd, yeah. I'd plant them. Uh, I think the key thing is the depth, and you do have to. The only thing that I find annoying as a small gardener is I think you have to let all that foliage stay, don't you? Yes, After yes, flowering yes, happens, yeah. you can't just yeah. go right. The flowers have gone, and I can cut no. this down. So for me, as a as a small garden, I'm afraid I don't think I'll ever have a garden full of peonies because of that, because they yeah. would outshadow anything I wanted to try and plant either on top or around them. They are a they are a perennial that like to have their domain, don't they? For the yeah, they are. They don't the like whole, competition. Yeah, yeah no. I think that's right. Yeah, mm. yeah. Good. All right. Well, I'm really glad we decided to chat about those three families yes. because they are somehow a bit of a hole, aren't they, for this time of mm. year? And they are the the real glamour models of, you know, May into late June garden, just to carry that incredible razzmatazz through until the roses open. Mm. And, of course, we will talk again in the future about lovely roses, but we covered them a bit uh, with our episode with Rachel Siegfried a couple of weeks ago. that was a lovely chat thank you very much for listening everybody and next week we will be chatting with the head gardener at Westine Gardens in West Sussex Tom Brown who is a horticultural friend of mine who's done lots of trials that both Arthur and I have visited and written about for the Telegraph You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes that we talk about in this podcast by heading to the links in the show notes or on our website at sarahaven.com.